Welcome to Harmony Vineyard Church, where it's Valentine's Day every Sunday. <laughs> the love of God is always here. I want to do something, <clears throat> as you may know, it's in addition to being Valentine's Day, it's also the first Sunday of Lent. Uh, so we have now, uh, as of Wednesday, begun the Lenten season. And so this year for Lent, I've been thinking, uh, wanted to do something a little bit different. And so what I want to do uh, for Lent is each Sunday, I want to pray for all of the other churches in our area. And the way I want to do that is I'm going to say the name of the church, and then I would like you all as a congregation to say, we lift you up. So can we do that? And uh, we'll just go through these lists, this, this list here. Uh, Union Baptist Church, lift you up. The Master's House, St. Anne's Catholic Church, St. James the Less Episcopal Church, First Baptist Church, St. Andrew's Orthodox Church, Ashland Presbyterian Church, Ashland Christian Church, Shiloh Baptist Church, Duncan Memorial United Methodist Church, Guathme Baptist Church, Holy Cross Lutheran Church, Independence Christian Church, Greenwood Baptist Church, Winds Baptist Church, Faith, Hope, and Victory Chapel, New Day Ministries, New Bethesda Baptist Church, Beth Shalom Ministries, Freedom Fellowship Church. Lord, we just uh, we thank you for all of these uh, places of worship. And, uh, and Lord, we, we lift all of them up to you. And, and we just pray your blessings upon each one, that uh, each one will uh, multiply and that new believers will come to know you in each of these places. So we thank you for them. We thank you for the pastors of each place who faithfully preach your word each Sunday. Bless them as well. Show them your love today. So we can thank you and give you praise and ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> there was a group of 30-something friends who were... Um, had been a close-knit group in college, and so when they got to be 30, they uh, decided that they wanted to have a reunion. And so uh, as they were discussing this, someone uh, suggested that they go to the Glowing Embers restaurant because the wait staff there was very energetic and friendly, and it was just kind of an exciting place to be. And they all agreed. Then, when they turned 45, once again, they were planning their reunion. And one of the individuals suggested that they go to the Glowing Embers restaurant because they had an excellent selection of food and a wonderful wine list. And they all agreed. Then, 15 years later, when they were all 60, once again, they were planning their reunion. And someone in the group suggested that they go to the Glowing Embers restaurant because it was quiet and smoke-free and you could enjoy your meal in peace. And they all agreed. Another 15 years goes by. 
And this group is still together, and they are meeting, and once again deciding to plan where they're going to have their reunion. And someone suggests the Glowing Embers restaurant because it has easy access and it has an elevator. And they all agreed. Fifteen more years go by, and they are now all 90 years old. And once again, they're planning their reunion celebration. And someone suggests the Glowing Embers restaurant because they've never been there before. <laughs> and they all agreed. <laughs> See, there are a number of reasons why we don't remember things. And, and age is certainly part of, is one of those. Am I, am I right? Yes. Yes, my wife and I have fun conversations all the time. Sometimes it's things she hasn't remembered, and sometimes it's me, right? Um, so, you know, there are, you get older, and I just like to think you're so smart that, you know, your brain just doesn't have room to remember all of those silly things like what to pick up at the grocery store and stuff like that. Uh, not that I would ever do that. Um, so, old, you know, getting older is, is certainly part of that, but I think um, another reason is just the, sort of the frenetic pace of life that we have right now. You know, it didn't used to be that way. Everyone, you know, wasn't running here and there, and nobody, uh, or I should say very few people ate out during the week much. I mean, that was kind of a real special deal, maybe on the weekends, and so everyone was home, and it was just different. You know, it's not to say it was better or worse, although I'm certain sociologists could argue that point. But it's just different now, and we're just terribly busy. We're taking kids here and there, and so lots of commitments. And so that could, that could play a role in it. I think um, another reason is certainly the technology that we now have. Um, <laughs> I'm somewhat ashamed to say that if I did not have my phone with me, I don't think I could talk to my son or my daughter because I <laughs> don't know what their phone numbers are because I've never had to remember them. For as long as they've had phones, we've had these devices, and I just put the phone in there, and he's on speed dial, and I can just press a button that says, Jarrett, and there he is. Uh, so if I was ever in, in real trouble and, and, and really needed to get a hold of him and my phone didn't work, I would have to rely on the kindness of strangers. Or if I forgot his name, yeah, but that's much later. <laughs> so, you know, perhaps some of you have experienced that too. You know, just this whole idea of, you know, we have all this technology. And uh, in fact, a pastor friend of mine was telling me that we are losing biblical literacy as a result of these devices. Because people no longer have to actually look something up. All they do is they just punch in oh, I want to go to Romans, and it takes them right to Romans. So they don't really have to know where Romans is, you know. And so on and on that goes with, with, with Scripture. And so a good deal, and I'm sure it pertains to things other than just biblical literacy, but, you know, that's kind of going away. And I think a fourth reason sort of goes to this quote, sort of a, a, a modern proverb, if you want to call it that, um, where familiarity breeds contempt. And I think contempt is too strong a word for what I'm trying to accomplish here because um, what this proverb means as it is right now 
is essentially extensive knowledge of or close association with someone or something that leads to a loss of respect for them or for it. Well, I would suggest that if we replace the word contempt with indifference, familiarity breeds indifference. And I think that's what we see a lot of the times. And what I mean by that is that things that are really important can lose their meaning because they become so familiar we just stop paying attention to them. We see this a lot in, uh, I think, um, with church liturgy. And if you've ever been to a church where part of the liturgy was to say the Lord's Prayer or the Apostles' Creed every Sunday, didn't it kind of get to the point where you didn't really think about what you were saying? You just said it because it was part of um, what everyone said every week. And... <clears throat> To an extent, I think we can even get that way with the words of institution, those words that are spoken over the bread and the wine when we serve Holy Communion in church. <clears throat> but the thing is, we're commanded to remember these things. In Luke, Jesus said, as he was instituting the Lord's Supper the very, very first time, it's recorded, and he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And that command was then again reiterated by Paul when Paul was writing to the Corinthian church and in that whole section where he's sort of taking them to task about the way they are treating the Lord's Supper. It comes to a point in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 25, where he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So when we take communion, we're supposed to focus on and remember and encounter Jesus. And so what we're doing today is I'm, going, I'm really beginning a whole Lenten series on this subject of the Lord's Supper. And for today, I want us to focus on four aspects or four things that we can remember when we take the Lord's Supper. And it would be these four things. That we are intimately known by God. That we are deeply loved by God. That we're invited into a relationship with God. And that we're the reason for his sacrifice. And so let's go through each one of these individually. Now this is, hope you all brought your Bibles because we've got some work to do today. It says in 1 Corinthians 8.3, um, Paul says that whoever loves God is known by God. All right? 
Well, I want to explore a little bit more what the Bible says about, uh, about this concept of being intimately known by God. So I've got a series of scriptures here, and I want some volunteers to read them. All right, and I'm going to put them up here so you actually can look at them and you can remember which one you've got. So who would like to read Job 34:21? Elaine, you have to remember what position you're in. And like I said, we'll read them down one column and then down the other column. Psalm 33, verses 13 through 15. Darlene. Psalm 139, verses 2 to 4. Richard. Jeremiah 23, 24. Sally, Matthew 6, 7, and 8, Donna, I saw it, and um, jo- uh, Joan, Matthew 6, 31 through 32, First uh, Chronicles 28, 9, Rebecca, Psalm 44, 20 and 21, Mark, Psalm 139, verses 1 and 2, Rit- Rich, Ezekiel 11.5, John, 2 Timothy 2.19, Chris, and then Proverbs 5.21, Josh. All right. All right, so keep in mind that what we're exploring here is this idea that we are intimately known by God. All right? think you're first. Uh, Job 34, 21. His eyes are on the ways of men. He sees their every step. All right. He sees their every step. Next. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. Fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. Next. You know my down sitting and my uprising. You understand my thoughts far off. You sift and search out my path and my lying down. And you are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my mouth. But behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Excellent. Jeremiah 23:24 Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him declares the Lord Do I not fill heaven and earth declares the Lord Thank you Matthew 6 7 and 8 And when you pray do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do for they think that they will be heard for their many words Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him Thank you Matthew 6 31 32 First Chronicles 28, 9. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. Excellent. Thank you. Psalm 44. Knows the secrets of the heart. Psalm 139, 1 and 2. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. 
Ezekiel 11.5. Second Timothy two nineteen. And finally Proverbs five twenty one. For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his path. All right. Thank you all. We're gonna do some more. So if you didn't get a chance, you will have a chance. But can you now Okay, so those were from all over the place. We didn't just go to one chapter or one book. We went to Old Testament, New Testament, uh, Psalms, all over the place. And everywhere we looked, 12, and, and this is just a sampling, obviously. You know, could easily find 12 more. Uh, of places where it says that God knows us intimately. And what goes with that, that intimate knowledge is an intimate caring, too, right? It's not just that he knows. It's that he knows and he cares about you. All right, Mr. Steve, this is your chance. Um, it's kind of funny because Steve had, <clears throat> had told me this, <clears throat> excuse me, this story last week and had said something about wanting to share it. And I was like, oh, that's great. And as I was getting ready this morning, it was like, oh, wait a minute, that's perfect. <laughs> so I've asked him to kind of come in the midst of this sermon and share the story that he shared with me last week because it so specifically speaks to this very idea about how intimately God knows us. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how majestic is your name. We serve an awesome God. Every now and then, God has presented himself to me in a way that I can't explain except that there is a God above. I can get in the debate about how things were created or, you know, all this, is God alive today? But he periodically shows up in my life. And he did this again Tuesday week ago. We have our um, Bible study, and this was the first one that we were going to have. And we started out, and we did our, you know, we sang songs of praise together. After the singing of the songs, we got into our scripture. We were in Acts, and we were going over that. So everything's going good, normal. And then we get to prayer time, and several people had prayed. Then Andre starts praying and he goes, Lord, I want to lift Steve up to you. I know Steve has a good relationship with his boss, but I also know that he is facing a job decision, a potential promotion, and I want to lift him up to you in that decision. Now that would seem like a normal prayer, except for the fact that I had not told him about that. I only found out myself about six hours earlier that it was even a possibility. 
And I told Donna. And Donna and I, when he's praying this, look at each other. And I go, did you say anything? No, did you? <laughs> and it just about drops me to my knees because it reminds me of the psalmist. Um, and, hey, I'm a little nervous today. I don't know why because I serve an awesome God, but still sometimes getting in front. But the psalmist says, who am I that you are mindful of me? And he has done this in my life multiple times. And I can't explain it except that he cares for me. And he cares for every one of us out here. And not everybody has an experience like that where they can, it's almost miraculous. Well, it is miraculous. There's no way Andre knew that that was going on in my life. And it was very calming. To me, it says, whatever the path is, it's going to be okay. Yes. Is God knows about me, and he knows about every one of us here. And um, that's what I wanted to share with you. Thank you, Steve. Steve's right. You all may not get something that specific, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't love you the same that he loves Steve, right? So as we are partaking of the Lord's Supper, the first thing we can remember is that God knows us intimately, every part of us. Secondly, we can remember that we are deeply loved by God. Now, if you spend any time at all in Scripture, you can't help but know this, um, that God has this deep and unfailing love. And that word is used over and over again, especially in the Psalms that David wrote, where David is constantly talking about God's unfailing love, his unfailing love for mankind. And we're going to demonstrate that in a moment as well. But first, I want to talk for just a moment about the fact that some people believe in God's love, and they believe that God loves all of mankind, but they're really not sure that God loves them. Now, it could be that the reason for this is a person. It could be an abusive parent. It could be an absent parent. It might be a spouse who abandoned them. It might be a coworker who's constantly putting you down. For some, it could be an incident, such as the untimely death of a loved one or a painful divorce, or an accident or an illness maybe that left you in poor health. For some, the reason could be a sin that you just can't believe that God could forgive you for. Maybe, maybe you believe that you have committed the unpardonable sin that, Matthew, that Jesus talks about in Matthew 12, 31. Now, I always tell people, odds are if you're worried about that, you have not committed it. <laughs> um, but 
Some, for some people, if it's not that, there just may be something that's in your life that you just don't think that God is, can, can possibly forgive you for. Or it could be one of these other reasons. And so just for a minute, think back to a time before you started to have kind of this attitude about God. Who gave that to you? Was it your parents? Was it, your prof was it some professing Christian? Was it a college professor, maybe? Who was it that somehow turned you askew from really believing that God loved you. And the thing is, why, if that's the case, why do you put more stock in that person's opinion than you do in the God of heaven? Again, if that's you, I want you to listen to what he's going to say to you right now. Because he's going to speak to you directly through his word. And he wants you to know that he loves you. So here we go. I want more volunteers. Psalm 18, 2 and 3. Bobby. Psalm 18, verse 19. Rich, Isaiah 49, I should specify 15 and 16, not the whole book, Jeannie, <laughs> Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, Jarrett, Psalm 36, verse 7, Fran, Isaiah 54, 10, I'm seeing a hand flick up somewhere in the back, all right, uh, Psalm 103, Thank you. Isaiah 43, 2 and 4. Ah, John, thanks. Romans 5, 8. Andre. <clears throat> John 3, 16. Elias. Gotta be able to do that one by heart. John 13, 1. Mark. Romans 8, 37 and 39. Joan, okay. All right, now listen. If you struggle with thinking that God loves you, he's going to talk to you right now. Psalm 18. Man do to me. How precious 
That includes your own mindset. Yeah? Yeah. Now let me, let me say something. If you're still struggling with this, if for some reason you have these moments where you just can't get a hold of that, this whole idea that God, God really loves me, then this is what I want you to do. You can email me and I will send you this list of verses. Or better yet, Get the scriptures out and search them for yourself and find these and other verses that speak of God's love. Okay, make a list. Then what I want you to do is get some three-by-five cards. And I want you to write out each one of those verses on a three-by-five card. And I want you to take them with you everywhere you go. And the moment you have any doubt that God loves you, you get those cards out and you read through them. Because in doing this, you're choosing to step out in faith and believe what God's word says. Now, you may not feel anything right away, but if you will persevere in this, you're going to honor God, first of all, in doing that, and eventually what you feel is going to align with your faith. All right? So I'm telling you, if this is a struggle, make the list, print out the cards, read them over, read, read them every day in the morning, read them before you go to bed, read them on your lunch break, read them every time you have any sort of an issue in your life. 
where all of a sudden that doubt starts to creep in. And refresh your mind, renew your mind, as Paul talks about, with the word of God and how much he loves you. And so we can also make a special note of this and, and again, remember this in that moment when we come up and we partake of the Lord's Supper. We remember once again how much God deeply loves us. Point number three is that we can remember that we are relationally connected to God. And for some people, this is, this is kind of the same, maybe the, a different side of the same coin, where, you know, we believe in God and maybe we really know that God loves us, but yet God seems to be so far away, so distant, maybe even unknowable in some people's minds. It's like, why, you know, I can't really know God. God is God and I'm not so very not. But the thing is, once again, the scriptures prove otherwise. So guess what? I have another list. And I need more volunteers. And you can volunteer more than once. So if you haven't read and would like to, here's your chance. If you have read and you liked it, you can do it again. All right? So Romans 8, 14, and 15. Elaine? 2 Corinthians 6.18, Donna, Galatians 3.26, Darlene, Galatians 3.29, Rich, Galatians 4, Jeannie, Ephesians 1.5, Joan, Titus 3.7, ah, Karen, Hebrews 2.10. Valley, Hebrews 12, 7 and 8, Chris, James 2, 5, Fran, all right, and uh, what you did last time was wonderful, just when the person who's in front of you finishes, you just can go ahead and start, so let's go with Romans 8, 14 and 15.
bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Hebrews 12, 7 and 8. All right, what did you just keep hearing through that? Sons and heirs. Sons and heirs. Now, I've talked before about this idea, you know, because a lot of times the women will say, well, it doesn't say daughters. Well, I don't want to go through the whole thing again, but in fact, he's, by calling you, you become a son, Right? I mean, it's, it, it was the son who in Scripture, the firstborn especially, but sons in particular that had all the benefits of being a child, right, of the father. And so what he is saying is he's basically doing away with that categorization and saying you are all sons. You all have access to that very same benefit. And so you don't, have, you don't think of yourself as daughters, but you think of yourself as having the rights and privileges of sons. And I've said it before, the men become the bride of Christ, so it's, there's some equality in this. <laughs> Doesn't mean you have to wear a wedding dress. But. And so, you know, as we, once again, as we come up and we take communion, we can remember that we are relationally connected to God as a son and an heir. And then four, we can remember that we are sacrificially ransomed by God. Now, there's a lot of scripture that could support this. We could probably just start reading a Genesis and going all through. Um, but I think we've read enough for today. And I think this video probably says it as well as, uh, uh, as our reading could. So we'll just watch. message from a couple of weeks ago, Jesus in my place. And so today, and one of the things that we're also going to do during this season of Lent is, you know, we say every week that we make communion available, but every Sunday during Lent, we're going to serve communion. And so I want that to, to really reinforce the personal 
aspect of it, the relational aspect of it, the fellowship aspect of it as well. And so as you come and as you partake and eat of the bread and drink of the cup, remember. Remember that you are intimately known. Remember that you are deeply loved. Remember that you are relationally connected. Remember that you're the reason for the sacrifice. God has removed all of the barriers for you to know and experience the depth of his love for you. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he asked his Father in heaven to bless it. And then he broke it. And he gave it to his friends, his close friends. And he said, take this, all of you, and eat, for this is my body given for you. And when the supper was ended, he took the cup. And again, he asked his father for a blessing. And he took this cup and he gave it to his close friends. And he said, take this, all of you, and drink. For this is the cup of my blood. The blood of a new and an everlasting covenant. Blood that was shed for you and for many, for the forgiveness of your sins. So whenever you eat of this bread or drink of this cup, do so and remember me. Richard, would you come? Donna, would you Come, could you come and assist? Um, Chris and Josh, would you come? If you're not familiar with, with how we do communion in, in our church, um, it's really pretty simple. You just come forward, you take a piece of the bread, and then you dip it into the cup, and you uh, return to your seat, consuming that and receiving the Lord's blessing upon you. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for this meal that you have given us to remember you by. May we, no, may we no longer take it without giving thought to it. 
May we truly use this time to remember who you are and how much you love us. So we give you thanks and praise and honor and glory, Father God, in this and in all things. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.